Alright, so today we're going to read you guys Whisper Down the Lane by Clay McLeod Chapman. I already read the first two chapters. And honestly, I probably would have read more if... Um, let me turn the record. I'm going to turn the volume all the way the fuck up because I'm about to get far from the camera. Not the camera, the mic. Put my fucking feet up, you know? I would have read this shit like if I had to go to bed or something, but I wanted to read it on the podcast. And I read two chapters of it, and I really liked what I read so far. It's been a while since I've like read a book, and it, it creates memories in my head, you know, of what I imagined with what I read. So, uh, just to leave you a little review, I guess I'll read the back, and then I'll, I'll kind of keep you up to up to speed, give you a little Spark Notes version of the first two chapters. So, here we go. They the Satanic Panic era began with a little white lie. All Sean had to do was tell Mom exactly what she wanted, needed here a game he thought that's all this is just a game and the name of this game was to say the right thing figure out the secret message that protected mom the meaning hidden within the words that would defend them both the truth and um oh fuck what chapter am i on dude i fucking ripped the, the oh there we go so I'll read the little things about the characters. Richard doesn't have a past. For him, there is only the present. New marriage to Tamara. That's where I left off. I don't really know Tamara. I know that that's Richard's wife. And uh, we're about to introduce her into this second chapter. Is it second or third? It doesn't name it. But basically, Richard works at the school. He's an art teacher. And he, he like shows up to work with the school's um, unofficial mascot, the bunny, basically. Uh, ripped apart. Very graphic, very gruesome. Ripped apart. And you start the book thinking that it's a human. Because I was reading it out loud and my girl heard And I was like, wow, I thought this was a human they are talking about. And she was like, me too. So, uh... It's a rabbit, but it's done in a way that where it looks like, you know, somebody made like an arts and crafts project out of it. And um, it's Richard's birthday, and he doesn't talk to people about his birthday. And while this is going on, it's 2013. And Sean is a five-year-old boy um, who's from, he just moved to Greenfield, Virginia. Not sure where he moved from yet. And it's just his mom. There's no dad in the picture. And I think it takes place in like 1986 or something like that. Like 1980s. You know, the mom's cheap. The second chapter introducing Sean. It's like a flashback. They're talking about, um, you know, how she's ordering Happy Meals to try and save money. So she's she's like pretending she's ordering two Happy Meals even though one's for her. And she like she makes her son lie, and she keeps talking about this big move to Virginia, new a fresh start, this and that. And you're not really sure why they're moving and what's going on yet. The only thing that you kind of really realize, and this is where I left off, is like as she's pulling up, um, like I don't know, I think she she had a job interview. I don't know if she had a job interview at the McDonald's or whatever, but she goes out the building and there's like a bunch of people protesting clowns and it looks like they're protesting mcdonald's and the kid had gotten two uh dolls for a happy meal and he did he didn't like he didn't like the the dolls he wanted something else i forgot what it was it's not that important i don't think and since they were protesting it was kind of weird to him because the, the the clowns on the signs looked a lot like the clowns in his in his hand he had two of them those are the two toys that came with the Happy Meal. So, he threw them out the car. 
and um, they run it over. All right. So now we're back in 2013, and it's Richard, and it sounds like he's a uh, he's chatting it up with his wife here. So you hear that? Tamara asks. Please tell me I'm not imagining it. Trust me, I'm hearing it too. Angels singing. The grading side. Oh, by the way, I'm happy. And no offense to fucking Megan Dara, dude, but I'm happy I'm reading this instead of uh, Heart of a Robot because I don't have to do an accent. This shit takes place in America. So, not to yeehaw the shit up, but, you know, I'm just going to use my regular voice, which I think is an American accent. I don't know. Do I have an accent? I always ask people, like, if you didn't know my ethnicity and you heard my voice on the phone, what, what, what would you think I am, you know? Most people say white, and then after that they say I'm black. No way. From what I, I mean, from the sample of maybe ten people I've asked, it's either white or black. That's crazy. And there was one, there was only one time where I walked into a, a room but I was like being loud and talking before um, they even got to saw me because I was in the other room. And when I came out, when they first met me, they're like, I thought you were black. <laughs> um, but that was back then in 2013 when I was, you know, people said the N word, at least out here in California, people said the N word with the soft A a little bit more like a dude way. So I was saying that a lot. But anyways, let's go back to Richard in 2013. Um... The grating strains of Enya's Orinoco flow drift across the plucking strings of a harp. You would have thought the pearly gates had opened up in the gym. The song is practically flooding into the hall. Oh, so, so they're at a gym. The, the music only grows louder as we walk. Guess we've all died and gone to heaven, I say. Tamara moans. If this is your idea of heaven, we're in trouble. She had been waiting for me in front of her classroom, wearing what I like to refer as her <coughs> office goth look. Suddenly shadowed accents, a sooty half-pleated skirt, high-collar jacket that hides her neck. Her charcoal sleeves conceal the ink that wraps around her arms over her left shoulder. The telltale tattoos of her after-school life obscured from her kids, not to mention their parents. Hold your books, I offer. So sweet, she says in her highest pitch palm quad impersonation. Her impression. Fuck. Turning the page here, sorry. Impersonation. As part of our intra-school romance is to pretend we're other people. Role play the jock and cheerleader. Chaz and Jenny hitting on the... Chaz and Jenny hitting on each other in the hallway between classes. See you after practice? Can't. I say in my best bro, bro lock. Oh, okay. Can't. I'm totally stuck in detention again. Oh, Chaz. What'd you do this time? Conjury just won't get off my back, I huff. She keeps riding me and riding me. Tamara laughs, drawing the attention of our wander, wandering faculty pack. Mr. Dunstan turns around. Turns, turns towards us. I'm sorry. Mr. Dunstan turns towards us, his watery eyes widening as if he's hoping to be included in our game. <laughs> Ew. We both drop our act and walk in silence. Tomorrow dips her chin, concealing her grin. How's the day been, I whisper. Break up any riots? Half my kids come down with something, she moans. My class feels like such a petri dish. I can already feel another cold coming in or coming on we should get our flu shots together we'll get a babysitter make it a date night tomorrow stops walking i already got mine we talked about this i feigned heartbreak you went without me i asked you like five times she had i'd just forgotten can i go the whole school year without inoculating myself against these rugrats Danvers is its own hot zone. The bell rings and the outbreak begins. Hey, tomorrow elbows me. Where'd you just go? Still here. She clearly doesn't believe me. What'd I just say? Oh, so, like, I forgot. Earlier, he, like, would zone out and his girl would, like, know when he's zoning out and try to bring him back. 
Because he just don't be listening, you know? <laughs> it's producer ladies like I know because I'd be doing that shit too. Um, you said find a thread, Richard. Come on, you can do it. <laughs> she rolls her eyes and lets me off the hook. Miss Castavit, Professor Howdy, how do who do something like that? She probably left his cage open, just snuck out on some wild animal, attacked him. That's your best guess, Sherlock? Why, you got a better theory? She gives me her best interrogator impression. Where were you the night of? <laughs> I want to turn my back, break out of this building. Want a ditch? Too late now. No, it's not. I stop walking, tugging on her arm. Come on, you can't be serious. I'm completely serious. Please rich what it'll be fun we can ask someone to fill in for us on what we missed i tugged on tomorrow's arm again harder this time a confused expression surfaces as if she as if she isn't quite sure if this is still a game or not she gently pulls her hand away quit it your loss i say trailing off after her i do my best karaoke rendition of enya as if we immerse ourselves within the song's re reverberations. I don't know this song. Sail away, sail away, sail away. Keep your day job, she suggests. <laughs> I pretend to be wounded. Her, herds, her words hit me to the heart. You don't like my singing? Sorry. The gym doesn't quite have the acoustics to pull off an Enya concert. <laughs> it, it's all rafters and no phonies. Phonics. The the C in this book was a little fucked up. I'm lying. My vision was playing with me. What's meant to lull the teachers into a calm, soothing stupor before kicking off our first faculty meeting of the year seems too simply set everybody on edge. Maybe it's just me. A set of folding chairs is arranged around the center of, of a basketball court, forming a ring. No backs to the staff. There's a little pop psychology at play here. Condry can sit amongst us as our peer. No leaders here, even though she's definitely the one in charge. Tamara, who's calling me? I'll be right back. Oh wait, nobody's calling me, dude. My phone's right here. <laughs> Tamara heads for the other side of the circle. What, you're not even going to sit with me? Not happening, she says. Why not? You know exactly why. You're going to get bored after a few minutes, and you're going to look for something to distract you, and then you're going to start budging me for your own personal amusement. Bugging me, sorry. You're going to start bugging me for your own personal amusement, and then we'll both get in trouble. I'm not getting dragged in. Sorry. It's going to be pretty boring over there next to Mr. Lombard. Tamara glances over her shoulder to our beloved science teacher. Mr. Lombard quickly catches Tamara's eye and his face brightens. I'll take my chances, she says. Thanks. Last chance. All the fun's going to be over on this side with the cool teachers. We'll see about that. You'll miss me. Keep dreaming. Tamara saunters to the other side of the circle. Donuts have been... Donuts have been voted down because Condry was concerned that they would make us sluggish. She prefers complex carbohydrates trail mix, whole grain breads, lean meats, some yogurt cups, and granola parfaits. Coffee is non-negotiable. Condry will have a riot on her hands if she doesn't have a travel pack set up with paper cups and sugar packets. Jeez, man. A stack of photocopied agendas is passed around the circle. The initi—I don't know this word. I'm afraid to admit it. Or I mean, I'm not ashamed to admit it. The in itinerary—that's the hardest word I've ever read in my fucking life. The init, the itinerary is evenly divided and some divided into. It's pissing me off. How I've never seen this word in my life. What the fuck is this, dude? Itiner itinerary? Itinerary. 
Itinerary. What the hell is an itinerary? Oh. Like an agenda? Yeah, kind of, yeah. Uh, Alright. The agenda is evenly divided and subdivided into bite-sized brackets for easy digestion. The who's, what's, where's, and when's are all laid out. No why's though. Never the why, as in why am I here? <laughs> or the how. How is this even happening to me? How did I get myself into this? If tomorrow's sitting next to me, I'd lean over and whisper about a few particular bullet points on the agenda that immediately catch my eye. Ah, look at that. It did say agenda. It, I didn't even have to change a word. I'm smart, dude. I'm just uninformed. That's all. Halloween will now be officially called Character Day. Oof. Active shooter drills. Parents are bound to kick up some dust over that one. The recent uptick in graffiti, the inner walls and the stalls of the boys' bathroom look like a multi-crew video, Sharpie pentagram 666 in bold black letters. How do our kids even know this sort of stuff already? Aren't they too young for this crap? Save it for high school. Mr. Dunstan slips into the chair next to mine. Is this seat taken? He's already sitting, so it doesn't seem to kosher to say it's not available. All yours. Dunstan hums to himself as he pursues the agenda. No discussion of budget cuts, I see. I do believe that means you and I are safe, he sneezes. Pulls out his handkerchief, monogrammed and everything, PD. Do I even know what his first name is? He blows. Forgive me, he says, between discharges. Got a bug going around this week. It's true. I discover another runny nose in my class today. Timothy Haskell's upper lip was glistening all through first period. Use a tissue, Timothy, I say almost every day. Madame Condry is fashionably late, I see. Anybody got eyes on our fearless leader? This solicits a few charm snickers from the faculty. Any opportunity to lightheartedly mock our esteemed principal in private is always appreciated. I could always earn a few points from the other teachers by getting a good jab in that didn't cross the line into craziness. Condry could take it. Hell, she might even laugh at herself. There's bound to be funny bones somewhere in her body. The Danvers School issues the a traditional educational model for something a little more hands-on. Our mission statement claims that we look at the whole student. Not just their reading, writing, and arithmetic, but their social, emotional, and cognitive development. You won't find many desks set up even in rows here. Most are in circles. Ms. Condry, our beloved principal, wants to foster a collaborative relationship between educators and students. Amplify their voice. Let them be heard. The faculty represents a mix of ped pedagogies. There's a younger generation of hipstructors intermingled with the old school. Old Testament type teachers, there are 20 of us on staff, all told not a huge roster, but Condry considers us all to be one big happy academic family. As in, arguing with your right-wing uncle about whether or not Obama was born in the USA during Thanksgiving dinner type of family. That's what kind of family our faculty is. I notice Miss Castavit is absent. Her empty fold-out chair is taken away. Our circle tightens. Enya's last chant suddenly halts. Sail away, sail away, sail away. Alrighty, everyone, Condry calls out as the, she pr presses stop on the portable CD player. Her heels clack over the basketball court, echoing throughout the gymnasium as she joins us. She had an aerodynamic demeanor, short, sandy blonde hair, no jewelry unless you counted her wired glasses, her wireless glasses. She seems to go through a rotation of hip-length blazers. Today is turquoise. Sorry to keep you waiting. I just don't give a fuck. No, I'm joking. <laughs> Sorry to keep you waiting, she says as she glances over her own agenda. Quick, quick addendum. I'd like to address the elephant in the room. I would have said bunny, but that's just me. 
I'll have a card for Ruth tomorrow. If you could all sign it, that'd be wonderful. Just a little something to say we're sorry for her loss. I'll leave it in the faculty lounge. No mention of Professor Howdy or what happened to him. No suspects. Our faculty meeting begins with a team-building exercise. The agenda even says so. Just a fun activity to bring teachers together. This is a great game to play with students, Condry says, especially on the first day. Nice icebreaker. I'm imagining tossing a beach ball around the circle to see how long we can collectively keep it in the air, or some version of zip-zap-zop. Two truths and one lie, she announces. In class, I always prefer two truths and one lie, and one tall tale, just so I'm not advocating for kids to fib. But we're all adults. The rules are simple. Each teacher has to share three things about themselves. Two are true. The third is a total fabrication. Condry zeroes in on me from across the circle and smiles. Something about her stare makes me feel the slightest bit on edge. She had heard me mocking her. Why do I suddenly feel like she caught me doing something I shouldn't? Why don't you go first, Richard? Sure. Hold on. Let me take a woosaw. feels good to read, you know? It's like sit-ups for my brain. May not be the best, but if I want to get this Manny Pacquiao biopic, you, you know? You got you to read. You got to focus. You got to be disciplined and determined. <sighs> Why don't you go first, Richard? Sure. I feel the spotlight shining on me. I glance through the its imagined glare and find Tamara. She leans back in her chair with one eyebrow arched as if to say, this should be fun. Hi, I'm Richard, your friendly neighborhood art teacher. Okay, let's see. My mind goes blank. This is harder than I'd expected. Okay, uh, got it. This summer, I married the love of my life. True. That statement earns me a few ash... Ahs from the circle, several teachers turning to Tamara to give her their nod of approval. Only I seem to notice Tamara rolling her eyes. In college, I got to hike the Grand Teton and I broke my leg coming down. True. And I have never eaten at McDonald's before. Lie. Condry surveys the circle to see if anyone might know where the fib is hidden. Which one's a tall tale? She tries her best to not look at Tamara, who now bows her head just enough to silently state that. Let's turn the page. I got gum in one hand. She will not be contributing. To silently state that she will not be contributing. Dunstan raises his hands, his fingers grazing my shoulder. Breaking your leg? <clears throat> All eyes are on me, staring, like I am the guest on some talk show and this is my big interview. I can feel the initial beads of sweat pebbling my forehead, rising from my skin. Sorry, I say. That one's true. Still have the scars to prove it. I'm guessing, Condry cuts in, that it's McDonald's. Unless there's something you want to tell Tamara, the faculty all laughs. Well, shortless anyway. <laughs> you got me. Got me. Country seems pleased. Yes, I've got you. She's on to the next teacher, and almost immediately, I find myself having a hard time focusing. Her words loosen, fading away. Tomorrow was right. Of course, I'm bored out of my gourd. That didn't take long. This meeting is only supposed to take up 60 minutes of our lives. 60 mind-numbing minutes of bureaucratic jibber-jabber, figuring out parking spaces, prep for the annual bake sale, the book fair, it's exhausting, but I keep my eyes open. I don't doze. I simply not present. I find myself glancing at the nape of tomorrow's neck from across a circle. I can just make out the hint of scales peeking from beneath her collar. I remember the first time I saw the snake for myself. Tomorrow has mastered this trick of flexing her biceps so that it looks like so so as if it looks like the serpent is coiling around her arm. Reminds me of the old hula girl tattoos on 
septuagenarian sailors, faded hips of blue ink dancing the hakulia with every twist of their wrists. With every twist of their wrists. When, I have no idea what he's talking about, by the way. Um, whenever I looked at tomorrow's tattoo, I could have sworn I was writhing on its own, alive. It's traumatizing. I snap, I snap back to hear Tamara's voice lifting. She sounds agitated. Something's riled her up. We're doing more damage than good. I appreciate your point of view on this, Condry calmly responds. I do, but this is happening statewide. It's not just us. It's all through Virginia. I can't be the only one who feels this way, am I? Tamara searches the circle. What are we talking about here? I couldn't have drifted for that long. I have to catch up before I'm called on. Too late, Tamara glances across the ring of teachers and looks her eyes directly onto me, cueing me to agree with her. I nod. It's the best I can do given the circumstances. I'm well aware of how the parents feel, Condry says, clearly in politician mode. But this is coming from the superintendent. We need our students to be prepared. Tamara shakes her head. Prepared for what? Are we really saying a third grader is going to bring in a semi-automatic and start shooting up their classmates? Some of the older teachers recoil. Even Condry winces. This is, this is one of the many things I love about Tamara. Watching her get all riled up. Like a firefighter racing into a burning building while everyone else stands back and stares. Most of us mere mortals have beliefs. Tamara has convictions. I always dread getting into an argument with her. I have made a practice out of avoiding conflict at all costs throughout my life. But she dives right on in. Head first. Her parents are the same way. Holidays are a blast, believe me. How do I explain this to Elijah, she asks. He'll be too afraid to come to school because what I'll be saying. What we're all saying. This is the place, this is, is this a place to be afraid of? It's no longer safe. Condry matches her. What about someone we don't know? A man with a gun finds his way into the building. What if we're the next Sandy Hook? How prepared should we be? Tamara considers this. This is the type of heated discussion these debates is meant for her to reach some sort of understanding on the subject. It's never about being right or wrong to Tamara. It's about achieving the knowledge of truth that she can only obtain after the intense in-your-face voices raise heated deliberations. It terrifies me at times how much the truth matters to her, how far she is willing to go find it, understand it, believe it. I just wish the lockdowns weren't necessary, she eventually says. I I just wish all of this wasn't happening now. That we even need to do this to our children horrifies me. I heard Handy I heard Sandy Hook was a hoax. The voice comes from somewhere else in the circle. At first I don't know if I'm actually if I actually heard of it or I'm just imagining it. A mouse squeaking under our feet. It pipes up just as Tamara laps into her own thoughts. Lots lost to the terror of school preparedness programs. Someone else has spoken. Tamara turns her head, confused by who it, it who said it. We were all a little taken back, to be honest. Even Condry seems thrown. Miss Gordon inches forward from her seat, clearing her throat. The government wants to take our guns away. They have an agenda. So the only way they can take get their bill to pass through Congress is to make up. What are you talking about? Tamara cuts her off. It's not a question. Miss Gordon is one of our special ed teachers. She wears a pink sweatshirt with an iron-on decal of a kitten printed across her chest. The image has faded from a few too many spins in the washing machine. That cat has deteriorated around the edges, but its paw still reaches up to wave hello at the rest of the faculty. Miss Gordon has never struck me as being an outspoken individual, or more to the point. I don't think I've ever really heard her state her case about much of anything, staunchy political opinions or otherwise. I always greet her in the hallway, morning, filling in with the rest of the teachers before school starts and every day, each and every day. <sighs> One thing about this book is that it's got way more big words compared to um, what I normally read, but I'm, I'm keeping up, you know, I'm keeping up. I, I I know what's going on, huh? Oh, uh, what do you think so far? 
You like it? Yeah. I do too. I'm just a little fucking tired. Uh... All right. Let's see. What nobody is willing to say, not even Tamara, is that the biggest difference, the key difference between Miss Gordon and herself, is that Miss Gordon has lived her whole life. Oh, lived here her whole life, I'm sorry. Is that Miss Gordon has lived here her whole life. She is old school Danvers. In fact, she first taught here when there was still school in the town. That one closed down, decades back. It wouldn't reopen until the rebirth of Danvers commenced and the heretical ped pedagogy crept in before anything became touchy-feely here. So when Tamara asked point blank, well, not asked, the man's to know what in the hell... <laughs> Thank you. What in the hell Miss Gordon is talking about? It's not much of a stretch to see where this is heading. Careening. Miss Gordon sits up and speaks directly to Tamara. Her double chin lifted. I was listening to the radio and I heard it was proven that sh that the shooting actually you can't be serious, Tamara again. I can't I can hear the disbelief in her voice. The incredulousness of it all. Are you serious? I'm agreeing with you, Miss Gordon offers. A misguided olive branch. I don't think we should do lockdowns either. But do you really genuinely believe that Sandy Hook didn't happen? Miss Gordon glances around the circle of chairs, searching for someone to speak up, to join her. Most eyes, save for tomorrow's, are now staring at the floor. I, I heard it. On the radio but it's not true Tamara says you know that right what you're saying isn't true Condry clears her throat we're getting off topic here Tamara Tamara's head turns sharply toward Condry I feel like this is something we should discuss if there's a member of the faculty that actually believes Sandy Hook didn't happen Miss Gordon sure isn't happy with Tamara's tone I'm just telling you what I heard. You might not agree, but those are the facts as I turn the fucking page, as I believe them. Turn these lights on. It's getting dark. Does anybody else agree with her? Tamara's spine is rammed straight. Anyone else want to chime in? Because if someone like this, if something like this happens here, heaven fucking forbid. I want to know who to depend on for help and who thinks this is just a hoax. Please, Condry holds out her hands, aiming her palm at Tamara as if, as if a conductor signaling to particularly loud violinists to tone, to tone it down. She is losing control of her faculty meeting. The music is slipping right through her fingers. This shitty symphony. I just think it's wise to hear all sides of the story, Miss Gordon says, crossing her arms, ready to be done with this, probably praying for the next bullet point on the agenda. Tomorrow's Tamara's face sours. Slides? Sides? <coughs> Sorry. Sides? What are you talking about? There are no sides to this story. It happened. It's real. 20 students died. Six faculty members died. It's not a hoax. Well... Miss Gordon shifts in her seat, sinking in just a bit, like a turtle retreating into her pink sweatshirt. Everybody is entitled to their own opinion. <laughs> My God, Tamara practically shouts. I can't believe I'm hearing this. Will somebody else say something, anything? Am I the only one who thinks this is insane? That's enough, Tamara. Condry is on her feet. The school board has put active shooter drills into effect, and that's that. You don't like it? You can take it up with Mr. Saloniker. Saloniker. We still have four bullet points left on the agenda. Four fucking more. And you damn well better believe Condry is going to make us sit through them all. <laughs> Addressing each and every one of them until we've reached the bitter end. Tamara sits across from me with her arms crossed, muted for the rest of the meeting, sulking. She won't look at me. See that I'm on her side. The next 30-40 minutes are quite painful. I fold. I refold my agenda. Before I'm aware of what I'm doing, I, I've origamed my sheet into a fortune teller. I hadn't checked. I hadn't made one of these since I was a kid. 
I'm amazed I even remember how. Folding on reflex. Kids ask, ask it a question. Kids ask us in a question, and in a matter of numerical combinations, fitting your fingers into the slips, opening and closing its Venus flytrap mouth, one, two, three, four, your fate is revealed. I know what he's talking about. Those little fortune cookie thingies. What do I want to ask it? Most kids test fortune, fortune tellers grasp of the future with soapy questions like, will I get married? Or how many kids will I have? In my head, staring at the fortune teller in my hands, I ask it, who am I? I open, the, I open and close the paper, its mouth segmenting into, into one direction, then bufuricating in the other, as I count. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. When I flip open the fold, the answer is, will now be called Character Day. Marquise de Condry. Saddest that she, saddest that she is, sadist as she is, won't put the meeting out of its misery until we perform one last team building exercise, or team celebration, she calls it. We're going to play jump in and jump out. Tomorrow's eyes finally find mine from across a circle for the first time since Condry shot her down, imploring me to escape. Told you so, I physically say back. Everyone pushes their chairs back, but we all remain in our circle, now holding one another's hand. Mr. Dunson squeezes my hand a little too tight, his palms sweaty. I feel the clamminess of his skin over mine, meaty fingers, cold, cut, fresh. We, are, we no longer need chairs to complete the ring. We are the ring. The circle has integrated itself into our bodies. Condry calls out from one of the following commands. Jump left. Jump right, jump in, jump out. When I call out the instruction, Condry says, not only does the group have to do the command, but we have to call it out while we do it. Easy, right? Easy peasy. But for round two, when Condry calls out a command, the group has to repeat the instruction while doing the opposite. Jump left now means jump right. Jump in means jump out. Not easy. Round three reverses it. Now we have to say the opposite while doing whatever the hell Condry calls out. She presses play on the boombox, Enya setting an angelic rhythm to our heart haphazard hockey hokey pokey. This circle of teachers, clutching one another's hands, hops in and out, left and right, creating a rhythm, a clumsy cadence of, of dancing bodies. We're dancing. All of us are dancing, spinning in a circle, uh, an impenetrable ring. Sail away, sail away, sail away. And that's that's it for this chapter. Um, and so it's going to flash back again to 1982. We're going to talk about Sean. And if I have to be uh, quite honest... I like what uh, I like the 1982. That that was a good that was a good chapter. It was all right, but I kind of like the 1982 one a little bit better. Um, I like how this guy, uh, how this author explains the point of view of a five year old. It's pretty cool to me. I think he's five, yeah. But uh, I'm gonna take a little break here, and I'll come back later. All right, I'm back. We're going to read this for you guys. Damned If You Do, Sean, 1982. So the last chapter I read was uh, set in 2013. And now we're in uh, 1982. Throwing it back. Little backstory here. Miss Betty cranked the can opener along the rim of the Del Monte can. She stared at the purple veins lacing her hands as she flipped the jagged lid back and poured a bland mix of cubed potatoes, diced carrots, green beans, peas, corns, and lima beans onto a slu- All oh, the fucking emails, dude. All oh, the fucking emails, of course. Who the fuck is this? It's my dad. I've got time for my dad. I don't have time for my dad sending me a picture of his fucking lunch, though, man. Give it a rest. Popeye's fish sandwich. That's nasty. Why are you getting a fish sandwich at Popeye's, dude? Get a chicken sandwich or just get chicken. Come on. 
<sighs> Lima beans onto a slice of white Wonder Bread. She slipped the plate into the microwave and heated it up for one minute. Her finishing touch was a pinch of sugar, my secret ingredient, she called it. Sean's stomach grumbled. Sounds like somebody's hungry, Miss Betty exclaimed. Let's say Grace. She always insisted on saying Grace, even if she wasn't the one eating. She closed her eyes and bowed her head. Sean stared back at her. What was she? What was he supposed to do? He mirrored Miss Betty without closing. Oh my fucking god! Yo, my shit stopped recording. I didn't even want to stop recording. I just yelled so loud, my shit stopped recording. Man. This book's interesting and everything, but it's just like, you know, I don't know if my life... I don't know if my life is, um... If it's ready to read books right now, you know what I mean? I'm halfway in a page. I get a text. I get a fucking meow. You know what I mean? It's been fucking days since the last episode. Nobody even wants to... Bro, I had people tell me I'd rather listen to Peter's perspective than me reading fucking books. You know what I mean? It's like, I want to do this, but it's like, man, I, I also want to get on here and just talk all my shit. So I don't know, dude. I don't. I think I'm about to just return this book to the library, dude. I don't think I could finish fucking 500 pages. So I'm on. I'm on page what 40. Hold on. This is not. This is not 500 pages. It's 300 pages. It's maybe even less. We're gonna try and fucking finish this, man. <sighs> What was he supposed to do? He mirrored Miss Betty without closing his eyes, dipping his own chin to his chest, watching her pruny lips mouth the words. Even though he'd been through this ritual before, he still didn't know the words. Was he supposed to? Amen. Amen, he echoed. Miss Betty opened her eyes and smiled. Dig in. Uh, who the fuck is Miss Betty, dude? That was his mom. Who the fuck is Miss Betty? Mom was late. Oh, so Miss Betty, somebody who takes care of him, I'm, I'm assuming. Mom was late again. The sun had already sunk below the surrounding tree line on their block. The other, the other children from the street had gone home, leaving Sean behind with Miss Betty. It wasn't the first time. It was becoming, it was becoming something of a habit, actually. Sean didn't mind. He kind of liked it, to be honest. The vegetable me medley. The stillness that settled over her kitchen, the grandfather clock down the hall that gave her a home pulse. The houses along their street were mostly small, one-story rentals, choked by weeds and made of cracked concrete. Each yard either had a rusted swing set or a cinder block car out front, hood open, its chest cavity missing its most vital components. There were four houses between Miss Betty's home and theirs. Sean could walk door to door in less than a minute, but he'd have to turn the corner at Shoreman Street to reach his house. That meant Miss Betty couldn't see him open his door. A lot could happen in that blind spot. She'd seen a white van with no windows slowing down along their block as if their driver were fishing through the neighborhood for kids playing on their own. Miss Betty had called the police several times to tell them about the van with its carotid underbelly insisting the mysterious vehicle had driven around her block five times in the last few days. She was able to write down the first three. I'm having a hard time here. I'm just pissed off. I don't know if I... She was able to write down the first three letters on the out-of-state license plate. If the authorities wanted it, could have been Florida plates or Colorado. Miss Betty wasn't sure. The police never sent anyone out. All the kids loved to visit Miss Betty because she let them watch TV. Her 21-inch zenith-colored television set, embedded with a varnished maple console, was a tank. As long as her soaps were done, as long as her soaps were done for the day, Sean and anyone else could come over and watch whatever show they wanted. After-school cartoons were decided upon democratically that usually meant masters of the universe or scooby-doo if it was mostly boys or mon monchuchis if it were more girls there 
Miss Betty never stepped in. She didn't care what the kids watched as long as there wasn't any foul language. Miss Betty wasn't a babysitter. She made that clear to Sean's mother from day one. I don't change diapers or burp babies, she warned. That Sean was five and well beyond his diapering days didn't seem to take much difference. Miss Betty was a proxy daycare for most families on the block. She never left home, save for her Wednesday hair salon appointment. So for a few dollars a week, she opened her door to any child who needed a place to play until their parents picked them up. By six, you hear? Miss Betty re reminded Sean's mother on countless occasions. Not 6.01 and certainly not 6.30. You show up late again and your boy's on his own. Yes, Miss Betty, Mom had said, properly chastised time and time again. Everybody called Miss Betty, Miss Betty. Even the adults on the block. Was Miss Betty, was Betty Miss Betty's last name or was it her first? Did anyone around these parts know for sure? Miss Betty's experience included raising four children of her own, three sons and a daughter, who collectively gave her a dozen grandbabies to dot over. Their christening photos lined the hallway on every inch of available surface area. Their smiling faces were everywhere. But it was a boy who only appeared in a few minutes that Sean was curious about. This lonesome child remained hidden farther down the hall, where the overhead lights had a hard time reaching him. When Sean found his black and white photograph, he paused long enough to take the child in. The boy looked to be close to Sean's age. His skin looked gray. He wore a suit, his Sunday best, most likely on his way to church. His shoes were the darkest part of the photograph, while the rest of the... Turn the page here. While the rest of the picture had began to fade away. Who's that? Sean asked Miss Betty, pointing to the gray boy. Oh, she replied, that's my first son. How come he's only in this picture? He wasn't long for this world. He's with Jesus now. Since Sean attended Greenfield Academy, he rode a different bus than the rest of the kids from his block. They teased him for it, calling him Richie Rich to his face. Sean hated that nickname. It made him feel awkward when his mom was always counting pocket change. During commercial breaks, the other kids asked Sean, Hey, Richie Rich, what makes you so special that you, go, that you get to go to Greenfield? You're mama fucking the headmaster? Miss Betty would kick those kids out of her house if she ever heard them speaking to Sean like that. But they still called him Richie Rich under their breath. Sean was usually the last to leave, even when mom was on time. Miss Betty would wait until the second to last kid was picked up before leaning over and checking to see if he was hungry. How is it, Miss Betty asked, bringing him back to the present moment. Good, he said between bites. Thank you, ma'am. Ma'am, nothing. Please, Betty is just fine. Yes, Miss Betty. At six o'clock on the dot, need a crack rock? Just kidding. Um, at six o'clock on the dot, Sean heard ding, 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 ding. His body tense. Miss Betty excused herself. You keep on eating. Sean waited in the kitchen, straining to hear their conversation. His dinner turned in his stomach. Sean always sensed a tension between Miss Betty and Mom whenever she picked him up, but today was different. Sean didn't want his mother to find out about what happened earlier that day. He'd had an incident on the bus coming home from school. Before boarding the bus, he'd felt the initial ticklings in his bladder but figured he could make it to Miss Betty's in time. Using the bathroom at school came with problems, like Tommy Dennings. Sean preferred to hold it in whenever he could, but the longer the drive home took, the more pressure mounted that tick tickling became an itch, which soon grew into a burn. And just like that, the... The, his his corduroys turned warm. Sean froze in his seat at the rear of the bus, hoping nobody would notice, but as soon as the bus reached his stop, he had to stand. He had to walk down the never-ending aisle, 
past all the other kids. With each step down the aisle, Sean's Kurdoris made a zip zip sound. What the fuck is a Kurdor Kurdoris? I'm fucking done with this book, dude. Use regular words. As the fabric rubbed together, it was surprisingly loud, like claws on a on a cardboard. Skirt, skirt, skirt. Tommy Dennings noticed a dark spot on Sean's pants immediately and pointed. Tom whispered to his pal, <sighs> Matt Sa Saperstang, just loudly enough for everyone to hear. Sean pissed his pants. Soon every kid on board turned to see. Pissy pants, they all sang. Sean is a pissy pants. Sean is a pissy pants. Who would taught them this song? How did all these kids know the lyrics just like that? It's like they know they knew beforehand, ready for the moment when Sean would wet himself. Sean was sobbing by the time he reached Miss Betty's door. He fell against her soft stomach, pressing his face against her. She shooed all the other kids away. Go play outside. No TV today. Miss Betty promised she wasn't going to say anything. But still, would she? He did his best to eavesdrop, but could only catch scraps. Not like him at all. Sean never wets his. Has something happened that would. Of course not. Oh, man. Oh, fuck this book, dude. I'm fucking. I'm done with this shit. What is this? I'm done, dude. Nobody gives a fuck. I'm not reading this anymore. I'm turning this book back. I don't care how good it is. If I read it, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not reading it on the podcast anymore. All right, I'll be back later with another episode. It's too much. It's too much. I know I'll be challenging myself too much, man. I'll be trying to fucking not drink. I'll be trying not to fucking kill myself. I'll be trying to like read these books, but it's too much. It's too, it's just, it's too much going on for me to just sit down here and mindlessly read this book. I'm not doing it. This, this is, this is ridiculous. I'll read it on my own time. If, if, if anything, but that's it. I'm like, unless somebody fucking begs me or there's too many people like, Oh no, the reading was good. All right. But so far nothing. So I'm fuck. I got motherfuckers hitting me up, you know, like I, I feel like nobody's like people genuinely like curious, like, Oh, we haven't heard a podcast in a while. Well, it's coming. All right. Fuck. All right. I'm done with this. Bye.